0: The Better Value, Better Business podcast. I am your host, Alexandra Stacey, and I am going to speak today about um, experience, customer experience, and employee experience. So, part of my role in my day to day job is consulting on customer experience. And the previous episodes up to this one have been factors in the customer experience and, in a sense, leading up to this episode. So, I specialize in uncovering what customers find valuable. I research customers and employees to find out what is ticking their boxes while they are using your product and service things that please them, things they find annoying. And I read between the lines to try and discover more about their motivations. And relationship with the organization. Did I say customers or should I say consumers? Let's just discuss that difference. At first glance the customer is the person or organization who commissions you and pays you to provide a product or service but the consumer is the one who uses it. However the commissioning part and the sales process is surely providing a service too, and the commissioning organisation is consuming your service. For instance, if I go to a shop and buy a box of chocolates for a friend, it is my friend who is the recipient and will consume the product. But I am also receiving a service. How well displayed were the chocolates in the shop? Could I reach them on that high shelf? Were the staff friendly? and informative. Did the shop accept the gift vouchers I tendered? Did they ask me for my e- email address? Did they offer to gift wrap it? Did they offer me a choice of r- wrapping paper? Did they gift wrap it well? So all of that was part of the service. So I was a consumer of their service. I had an experience with them. And as a consumer of their service, I evolved an attitude of like or dislike. Recall from previous episodes that attitudes are evolved, including being emotion-led from the affective system of the mind. Is this attitude directed towards their services? Yes, but remember, it is my personal attitudes towards aspects of their services. If those emotions were good, then I can say I liked that experience, and if they were bad... It is an experience I will try to avoid in future. Now some customer, consumers, will prefer that their gift purchases are wrapped in brown paper and tied with string for that retro eco feel and others will like Christmas wrapping paper. Some like reactive and polite staff, while others prefer more open, proactive staff displaying more personality. So we evaluate things differently from one another So the point I am trying to make is that the experience is unique, whereas the delivery of the service is probably fairly similar to each customer-consumer, which is why I go on and on about customer experience. So I will do an episode of how customers evaluate service, but today, and generally, I am more interested in what affects the consumer's personal experience. We experience the world as the main actor in the play and evaluate our experiences, that is our emotional journeys, on our emotions which are of course related to us alone as we are not psychic or empaths. Well, I'm not. Let us return to my friend who is unwrapping that gift I got her and her reactions. Unfortunately, it is an epic fail because she is trying to lose weight. Her aims are to avoid weight gain, so the product doesn't suit her. Additionally, she now thinks I'm insensitive, and she puts the box aside ready to share it with family at Christmas. So, now the consumers are people I don't even know and didn't imagine catering for. Someone once said people want services, not products. But finally, people want unique experiences, not services or products. This was identified over 60 years ago. But how can an organisation service this type of varied demand? We know that standardising a product or service leads to efficiencies, but that might not be speaking to your kind of customer who is looking for non-standardised services. The consumer themselves is partly responsible for the generation of experiences because they have to interact with the supplier and integrate their own resources. So we can call this operant resources. And once consumers are recognised as creators of their own experience, for instance how Lego builders are generally employed. Novel experiences are not only produced by consumers interacting with the producer, but also by the interaction of consumers with other consumers. Let's think of some examples of a product. How about something pretty boring like a potato? What on earth kind of experience are we seeking from a potato? Unless your aim was to use it as a doorstop or missile, a potato needs some processing first. It needs scrubbing or peeling, chopping and some kind of cooking process. You as the consumer have a choice which of your skills and resources to apply to the potato to get the experience you want. For example, the feeling of fullness, a relief of hunger, perhaps comfort. Perhaps to you, a potato denotes worthiness. Or perhaps you grew it yourself in your allotment so you get a feeling of efficacy and self-esteem. So where is the value? Did the farmer produce the value or did you? Or was it a joint enterprise? How about table mats? Aren't they there to protect the wooden furniture? Yes, exactly that, because that gives you a worry-free dining. Lots of products and services are about relieving anxiety in the consumer. So that is an experience. You will recall I talked about how risk-averse we are or a service could be to make people laugh. So why should people want to pay to laugh? Because it makes them feel good, it is an experience. Let's keep on thinking of who the consumer might be. Imagine if you are a gaming software developer and you release a fabulous new game. Its success depends on how it is received in the gaming community. And you are probably depending on gaming influencers to pick it up, do an unboxing and a reaction stream. So the influencer is now using your product in an individual way, which is as his, her own show, trying to gain followers and income. The gaming community are watching, so they have become your consumers too. If they share their reactions to the unboxing stream in social media, Then their friends become a consumer, and you really don't have any control over the customer experience at this point. Remember, they haven't even purchased a copy of your game yet. I have seen gamers make entirely new game streams on how to exploit faults and glitches in a game and share that with their followers. They are still your consumers, not solely yours of course. There is a dark side to this, which is if your service is used for bad purposes which weren't intended. Uh, for instance, social media is sometimes used for cyberbullying and worse. Is it fair that your brand reputation is tarnished like this? In the gaming example, you see how the gamers remake a service to suit what they prioritise as valuable. For instance, gaining followers or subscribers, gaining kudos and fame. They are acting as experience nodes within their own networks, none of which are identical, and we can see them as unique value experiences. The value has been dispersed and networked. It has passed along the value chain to places you hadn't originally designed for and is experienced individually. It has become less transactional. Because of this networked value, we want to write our own script the lighting and direct it ourselves, in order that our experiences will be unique to us. This is probably a good place to consider Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is often visualised as a pyramid with your basic needs at the broad base. These are our physiological needs, things such as shelter, food and water. Once we have these, we can move up the pyramid to the next step and think of our safety and security needs such as protection, order, stability. So this might be where we want to protect our food supplies and access to water. We organise things in an orderly way. When that is in place, we can go up to the next step to attend to our social needs such as affection, friendship and group belonging. The next step up is our ego needs, which are the need for prestige, status, and self-esteem. And finally, at the apex of the pyramid, is self-actualization, where we seek self-fulfillment. But each strata is not separate from the others in the sense that each level channels downwards to express itself. For instance, ego needs are applied to the levels below. For instance, to which friends you decide are suitable for you or what status is conferred on you by belonging to certain social groups. Billionaires, I presume, have all the basic needs met. But I imagine billionaires expect to be invited to Davos. They want to signal they belong in the club. And for the less exclusive members of society, we certainly see social needs being signalled in what clothes we choose to wear as our choices indicate belonging to certain groups or tribes even. Think of bikers or sporty people as distinct from those who choose to wear business attire. I have been quite amused to see how people now indicate their success status by trying to look like someone who is in programming. Think of a Zuckerberg here. Very casual wear, certainly no tie, because of course they don't need to conform to the old business stereotypes of clean shaven and suit and tie. And best of all, you don't have to learn how to do all that pesky, difficult programming to look as if you are successful and intelligent. Even something as basic as housing. Once you have the means, you can satisfy your safety and security needs, then furnish a house and use it to service Self fulfillment and social needs. So, when we are seeking experiences, we are all the while trying to achieve self actualization as far as we can to get to the top of that pyramid. Spending money with the primary intention of acquiring a material possession, that is, a tangible object that you obtain and keep in your possession, and the object of spending money with the primary intention of acquiring a life experience, an event or series of events that you personally encounter or live through is the distinction between tangible and experiential purchases. Of the experiential consumption aims, these can be from different psychological motivations, extrinsic or intrinsic. For instance, exam grades are seen as a form of extrinsic reward in the education system, whereas intellectual development is of an intrinsic nature. Experiential consumption has the effect of triggering intrinsic motivation in an individual and the focus of attention in engagement of an activity as opposed to the extrinsic motivations of the outcomes. Moreover, it has been suggested that material consumption produces more negative outcomes than experiential consumption. However, there is some blurring of the boundary. Some products are purchased with experiential aims and some products are purchased with utilitarian aims and others with hedonic. So some of the aims of experiential purchases are uh, the opportunity uh, for social opportunities, social signalling, increasing your social visibility, signalling identity, confirming identity, and self actualizing, according to Maslow. Meaningfulness, which is described as integrating the present with the past and future, competence, and social stock for storytelling and relatedness. Experiences can be evaluated in positive or negative directions. The overall direction of travel is towards happiness with experiences. This seems to be because people reinterpret their past experiences in a successively more positive light, whereas products do not offer the same opportunity of reinterpretation because the physical evidence is constantly there to remind you of the reality and thus cannot be reimagined or re-remembered. So, finally, in order for you to create better value, you should think about how you can enable your customers, give them tools, educate them to get as much variety of experience as they desire from your product or service. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time